says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, have you ever had your plans shattered before? Where you were planning on going one place or doing one thing and ended up somewhere completely different. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, me and my wife were getting a new couch. And it was a Tuesday night, and on Tuesday night my brother came over and helped me move my old couch out. So I thought I would go and just kind of touch up the spots on my floor that were messed up. I have a, we have a painted floor, and there are a number of spots that were chipped on the floor. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll get the paint from the basement or maybe down in the church here. I don't remember where it was. I'll go get it, touch up the spots. So I go and look. I can't find the paint. But I found some other paint that looked kind of close, kind of similar. So I had this little test spot. So I went and tested this spot. It looked pretty close. I thought it, it must be the same paint. So then I got a little bit more aggressive, started painting spots all over the floor. It turned out it didn't match. Not only did it not match, but it wasn't the same kind of consistency. The rest of the floor was kind of smooth, and this was rough. So I'm like, okay, now what do I do? So I call up Sherwin-Williams. I'm like, okay, what should I do? Told them what paint I put on there. They're like, okay, you need to get floor paint. You can't just put regular paint on the floor. You got to have floor paint. So I'm like, okay, I'll get some floor paint. So I get the floor paint, sand up the floor, everything that's exposed. By this time, the new couch is already there, so I can't move everything out. So I'm just trying to sand around everything, repaint everything that you can see. And here's the thing, this paint, it was a special paint. You have to wait at least 24 hours to walk on it. And you're supposed to wait seven days before you bring furniture back in and wear shoes and stuff in there. So I do that, go pick up Stephanie. I'm like, hey, by the way, we can't go in the living room for at least 24 hours. We probably want to keep the dog off of the floor for as long as possible. So to get the dog out, we had to go out our front door and walk on the yard, go to the back, or to get something from the kitchen, we had to go outside. So wait seven days, and after seven days, we look at the floor, and the floor is still kind of sticky. And there's dirt that just kind of sticks to it. And, you know, our dog, Ruby, has a lot of hair, and the, the hair that she would shed, it would just kind of stick to the floor. Wouldn't come up. So I'm like, okay, we got to do something about this. So then I go and get some polyurethane. And, of course, they didn't have it at Home Depot. They didn't have it at the Lowe's around here. I had to go to uh, the Lowe's on transit to get this polyurethane. So I put three coats of polyurethane on it, and then we started that clock again. You can't walk on it for 24 hours, can't put furniture back for seven days. And so we're still in that process. We still don't have the furniture back in that room. But my initial plan, all it was, it was a half hour, hour job. I was just going to touch up the little spots on the floor. I had no intention of painting and sanding and polyurethaning the whole floor. I think life is like that. We plan on going one way. We end up some completely different. There's a special report that was done on This American Life that followed the lives of several Americans who were following what they called their Plan B. And uh, the host, Ira Glass, commented on this kind of informal survey that he did. 
he had a room of 100 people, and he asked those 100 people, so how many of you are living your plan A for your life? The plan that you had maybe when you were 16 or 17 or 18, that the way that you envisioned your life to be going. Out of that 100, those 100 people, only one person raised their hand, and that person was only 23 years old. I think it's almost a human condition that we plan on going one way, but we sometimes end up somewhere else. In the passage that we're looking at today, we see plans that are changed. In this passage, we find Paul on his second missionary journey. He's accompanied by Paul and Silas, or by Silas, Timothy, and later Luke. Paul's second missionary journey started, started at Antioch. And you can see uh, we have a map here. It might be a little bit hard to see. But on your right is Antioch, that right near Syria, kind of about halfway up the screen. That's Antioch. And then it says that after that, they went to, uh, into Galatia, which is that uh, green one right in the middle, and Phrygia, which is kind of hard to see, but it's kind of on the border of Asia and Galatia right in the middle there. So they go to those places, and then the most natural place to go next if they're going to Galatia, Phrygia, right in the middle, the most natural place to go would be Asia, that they would go and preach the gospel in Asia. But it says in the text that the Holy Spirit forbid them from going into Asia. I mean, think about that. The Holy Spirit forbid them from preaching the gospel in this place. We don't know why it was. We don't know why. Eventually, we know that Paul does go and preach in Asia, but for this time, the Holy Spirit says no. So Asia is off limits. So then it says in the text that Paul and his companions tried to go up to Bithynia. Bithynia is, is right up to the top there. It says Bithynia and Pontus. So try to go to Asia. Holy Spirit says no. Try to go to Bithynia. And it says in the text that the, the Spirit of Jesus prevented them from going there doesn't tell us how the Spirit of Jesus prevented them from going there. Maybe there was inclement weather. Maybe there were uh, authorities that prevented them from going there. Maybe the road was impassable. But they're prevented from going into Bithynia. So Asia's off limits. Bithynia's off limits. And you've got to imagine that Paul and his companions are thinking to themselves, so what are we doing here? Uh, they, he had probably, Paul had probably imagined preaching the gospel in these places like Ephesus and Colossae in Asia. And after all, didn't Jesus say that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few? But the Spirit of God says, don't go to Asia. He prevent, the Spirit of Jesus prevents them from going to Bithynia. And then it says in the text that they went to Troas. Troas is... Uh, kind of on the top of Asia, so they had to go through Asia, didn't preach the gospel in there, so they get to Troas, right at the top of Asia to your left, uh, right up there. And it's probably significant that they went to Troas. Now, the, the city of Troas was uh, first a city, but it also referred to a region. Uh, the region involved Troy and some other uh, surrounding areas. Troy was a few miles away from Troas, and so Troas often referred to this whole region known also as the Trode. And uh, Troas was the site of a number of famous events, kind of world-changing events in the ancient world. Homer's book, The Iliad, dealt with the war that resulted in Troy's destruction. A number of famous kings traveled through the Troad. 
Alexander the Great passed through Troas on one of his famous expeditions. Julius Caesar was planning on making uh, the city of Troy uh, the kind of center of his kingdom and ruling from there. The forefather of the Roman Empire, a man named Aeneas, uh, was believed to be the forefather of the Roman Empire, and it was, he was from Troy as well. So it was a very significant place, a place where a number of world-changing events had occurred. One scholar said this, Robert Sorensen says, most everyone in Luke's day knew stories about world-changing events that had taken place in the Troad. For a variety of reasons, then, Luke's original audience would have recognized Troas as a fitting stage for another pivotal, pivotal event. So Paul and his crew are in a very important region, a place where a lot of uh, important things have happened. And then while he's there, he has a vision in the nighttime, perhaps a dream. Now when we think about dreams, we often think about maybe eating a little bit too much pizza. And we have maybe seen these bizarre dreams that we, you know, want to forget about. Or we think about a vision, maybe we think about somebody who's kind of, you know, lost their mind just kind of seeing things. But in the ancient world, they didn't think of it that way. If someone had a dream or a vision, it was believed to be a direct communication from God or uh, in the pagan culture from the gods. And there are a number of people in the ancient world who had received visions before they would go on very important missions. There are a number of famous people in the ancient world who received visions where their gods uh, indicated that they should go to particular places to establish sites of worship. Other figures such as Julius Caesar, Xerxes, and Alexander the Great were said to have visions before pivotal moments in their life. So we have Paul at an important city receiving a vision, a communication from God, which indicates that what's about to happen is very significant. So what is so important that's about to happen in Paul's life? See, Paul is about to bridge the gap between the eastern part of the Roman Empire and the western part of the Roman Empire. He's going to cross the sea. He's going to go to a new place of ministry and he's going to set the stage for how the church is going to look for the next potentially hundreds or thousands of years. He's going to preach to the Thessalonians, the Philippians, the Athenians, the Corinthians. And while he's there, he's going to encounter some incredible fruit. He's going to have an incredible ministry. He's going to encounter a Philippian jailer who gives his life to the Lord. He's going to encounter some positive response in Athens. He's going to encounter the Bereans who searched the scriptures and many of them believed in Jesus. He's going to encounter the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, in Corinth, who with him and his whole household gave their lives to Christ. So he's going to encounter some great ministry as he goes into this new area in Macedonia. Yet what would have happened if Paul's plans would have been successful? What would have happened if he would have just preached the gospel in Asia and Bithynia and would have never made it over to Macedonia? If that were the case, we probably wouldn't have the words that Paul spoke, the great passage on love in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. If he would have 
never made it over to Macedonia, if his plans would have been successful, we would have never had the words of encouragement in Philippians 6, 6 to 4, 6 to 7, that says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. We wouldn't have the admonition that Paul gives to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, where he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If he would have never made it over to Macedonia, Luke may have not had the opportunity to share in the missionary activity with Paul. In the, book of, in the passage that we just read, that it, it says in the text, it uses we language, indicating that Luke is now a part of this party, this missionary party. And so all these things wouldn't have happened if Paul's original plan would have come to fruition, if he would have just preached the gospel in Asia and Bithynia. So thank God that God wrecked his plans. Because in so doing, he led Paul and his companions to a greater purpose. Because sometimes God interrupts our plans to lead us to his purpose. God interrupts our plans to lead us to his purpose. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These are some of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. And when we read these verses, we often focus on the first part. For by grace are you saved through faith. And rightfully so. It's a very important passage in understanding what it means to have a relationship with God. But sometimes I think we forget the ending. That we are Christ's workmanship and that he has prepared good works for us to do. It's not about our plans and our ambitions, but that God has a purpose for us that he's lined up for us. We live in a time when our plans have and will be interrupted. This whole COVID-19 crisis has really thrown many of our plans by the wayside. Some of us maybe we planned on staying at our place of work for many years and Maybe we've been laid off or our business isn't bringing in what we hoped it would. Some of us maybe are, have dealt with the loss of loved ones, people that we thought would be with us for a long time. Some of us were ready to retire and we thought we had a pretty nice nest egg to retire and our savings have started to dwindle. We planned on going on vacations, trips. We planned on going to graduation parties and birthday parties. Some maybe planned on uh, getting married, and yet that was stopped, or maybe how that looked changed dramatically. Our plans have been drastically altered. And if, as we look at this, maybe it's not even about COVID-19. Maybe it's like we had this plan A of where we thought we would be at this stage in our life, and now maybe we're somewhere completely different. See, when we think about God interrupting our plans, I think sometimes we think about it in terms of moral categories. We think of it in terms of, so if God interrupts my plans, that means that my plans weren't good. That means that my plans were sinful or had sinful motives. But that's not necessarily the case. 
We could have good plans. We could have good motives. And maybe they're not God's best plans for us. I mean, Paul's intention here to preach the gospel in Asia and Bithynia, that was a very good thing. If he would have gone to Asia and Bithynia, there would have been people who believed in Jesus and there would have been fruitful ministry, but it wasn't the time for him to go there. And the same is true in our lives. Just because God redirects us doesn't mean that our plan was wrong or that we did something wrong or that we had bad motives. Sometimes God just wants to move us in a different direction. Yet, as fallible human beings, I think sometimes when God does that, when He redirects us, we are so focused on our own plans that we can't see any other way out. If God says no to this plan, then we're like, oh, I don't know which way to go. And we kind of lose heart that way. Author Susan Gray Gilmore says this, it's a funny thing how much time we spend planning our lives. We so convince ourselves of what we want to do that sometimes we don't see what we're meant to do. We're so focused on what we want to do. We're focused on our plans. And sometimes we miss what God has for us. And you look at this story, and it would have been easy for Paul and his companions, as he's forbidden from preaching the gospel in Asia, prevented from preaching the gospel in Bithynia, it would have been tempting to just go back home, say, I... I mean, we can't go any further. We went as far as we could. Let's just go back home. But they persevered. They remained obedient to follow God's purpose for their lives. And we need to do the same thing. We can't give in to discouragement when life doesn't go according to our plans. Because we know that He has something greater in store for us. If He's redirected our plans, that plan that He has for us must be greater even if we don't see it in the moment. What often happens in the end is when we're obedient, when we follow after God's plans, He often leads us back to those good plans that we had. If those plans are from God, then He often will lead us back to those things. I mean, you look at this, this passage, and eventually Paul is going to preach in Asia. He's going to preach and have a very fruitful ministry. He's going to preach in Colossae, and we're going to have the book of Colossians that comes out of that, and Ephesus, the great book of Ephesians. And so he's going to make his way to Asia. It just wasn't in God's timing for that moment. And eventually he got back there. But sometimes I think that God needs to interrupt our plans because if he doesn't interrupt our plans, we'll just kind of keep doing what we're doing. He needs to kind of shake us out of our slumber to point us in the direction that he wants us to go. And I think about World War II, and in 1939, World War II started when Germany invaded Poland. And from 1939 to 1941, the United States kind of more or less stayed on the sidelines. They were sympathetic to the Allies' concerns. They uh, supported the Allies in some way, but there was a lot of debate. Were they really, really willing to have their sons die in battle in this war? And for the most part, many said no. So they supported the Allies kind of behind the scenes until that one day, December 7th, 1941, when 360 Japanese warplanes came and destroyed or severely damaged 18 American ships, destroyed 160 American warplanes, and killed 3,700 Americans. 
President Roosevelt said that that was a day that would live in infamy, and, through, and that kind of propelled the United States into World War II. After that time, it was the phrase that, just came, that came up again and again was, remember Pearl Harbor. When we think about that, Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of England, had a very different response than President Roosevelt. Uh, Winston Churchill, he was sympathetic to the losses that the Americans that we had incurred, but he knew that this was a pivotal event. He knew that this was the biggest mistake that the Japanese had made because he knew that by doing this, this was going to tap into all of the United States resolve, that now they were going to throw all of their weight behind the war effort. Now they were willing to die to win this war. And reportedly after processing this, Winston Churchill said, now we will win. But America was content to stay on the sidelines until there was that pivotal event that took them off the sidelines and brought them into the war. And I think sometimes God needs to do the same thing with us. We're content going our own way. We get, get comfortable. And then there's these catalytic, catalytic events in our life that just kind of changes the trajectory of where we're going. And he puts us on the path that, we, that he wants for us. So God gets our attention. He changes our plans. Maybe he says no to some things. And then when God does that, we need to ask ourselves, where does he want us to go? What's the path that he wants to go on? Specifically, I think we need to ask ourselves, who is our Macedonian? If God changes our plans, he must have a good reason. So what need is he calling us to meet? What opportunity is he calling us to say yes to? What lesson is he trying to teach us? As a church, I think this applies to us very well. As a church... A big part of who we are, our mission, is to reach out to those around us, to share God's love with those in our community. And we've done that in a number of different ways throughout the years. And this whole COVID-19 crisis has thrown us some roadblocks. You know, our first church in the park was canceled. We were uh, thinking about having a vacation Bible school. There was a missions team uh, from Mississippi that was going to come up and help us do a vacation Bible school, reach out to the community. That was supposed to happen in July. We were talking about and praying about starting an Awana program. Reach out to the kids in the community. Of course, we do our annual breakfast with Santa. And, you know, right now, thinking about the fall coming up, I, I don't know that that's going to happen, having, you know, at least not the way that it happened in the past, having 100 or 200 people kind of crammed in a small space. And you think about those things, and there's been so many roadblocks that have been thrown against not just our church, but the church in general. But maybe, maybe God is throwing us these roadblocks to free us up for what he wants us to do. And maybe as a church, we need to pray and ask God, who is the Macedonian in our lives? Who are the people in our lives who are crying out, come, help us? What is God freeing us up to do? Because he said no to some things. He's thrown us some roadblocks with this whole COVID-19. And I believe that he's thrown us those roadblocks so that he can free us up for what he wants us to do. And so would you pray with me as a church that God would give us wisdom what he's freeing us up to do, what plan he has for us.
And that doesn't just apply to the church. It applies to us as individuals. God throws us roadblocks. He throws us roadblocks to point us in a different direction, a direction that's better. Direction that's going to bring more fruit for His kingdom, that's going to teach us something. God's ways are higher than ours. He interrupts our plans to lead us to His purpose. There's a pastor by the name of David Gable, and early on in his ministry, he was at prayer meeting, I think it was on a Wednesday night, and there was a woman who came up to him afterwards and says, can I talk to you, pastor? Her voice was low. She seemed kind of unsure of herself, and she said, well, I was just wondering if you might talk to my husband. Uh, my husband has moved out of the house, and he's now in, living in an apartment with two other women. So the pastor said, well, is he a Christian, or does he call himself a Christian? She said, yes, he does. Actually, he's the one who led me to Christ. And so he's like, uh, okay, why don't you just give me his number, and I'll give him a call. And she said, well, that's the thing. He only calls when he wants something. I really don't have any way to get a hold of him. So the pastor couldn't really do anything, and he's like, okay, uh, well, if you talk to him, tell him, give me a call. And so this woman went away kind of with her head down, depressed and discouraged that nothing could be done. Well, this was Wednesday, and then Friday was the pastor's day off. He got up early and was doing some yard work. It was a hot day, and by midday, he was ready to be done. He was muddy, sweaty, achy. He was just ready to be done, but he ran out of some plants. And so he went to the local nursery to get some plants, and the first store that he went to had what he was looking for, but the price had gone up substantially. And so he decided he's going to go to another store. And he's, you know, getting frustrated. He just wants to be done with this project. So he gets to the next store finds what he's looking for, set the right price of what he wanted to pay. So he goes to the register to check out, and he looks at the cashier's name, and it's the same last name of that lady who he had talked to. And he looked at his name tag, and he said, oh, are you so-and-so as if this guy would be wearing a name tag that wasn't his? The guy's like, yeah, that's my name. He's like, well, are you married to whatever this lady's name was, and he's like, uh, yeah. Then this pastor, he worked up all the courage that he could, standing there all muddy, achy, sweaty, tired. He said, I, I really believe that God wants me to talk to you today about your marriage. Gable says this about that encounter. He said, some 300,000 people lived in the Fresno area then. Out of all of them, the first person I had talked to other than family and staff, since Wednesday night was this husband. He says, in a lifetime of seeking to be led by the Lord, that's the most powerful example I've experienced. I had heard many stories of people led by the Spirit to go to unusual places or say unusual things. I always wondered what it would be like. At times, I've really needed guidance and have prayed earnestly for it. God has helped me. But my unerring, no-wasted step trip to that husband remains my most remarkable example. He says, not only was I not trying to be led, I wasn't conscious of God's leading. I just wanted the yard finished. God changed his plans to lead him to his purpose. 
Sometimes God interrupts our plans to lead us to his purpose. Proverbs 16.9 says this, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that your ways are higher than ours. We thank you that sometimes you interrupt our plans to lead us to the purpose and plan that you have for us. And we know that your purposes and your plans are good. We know in the Scripture that you promised us that there's nothing that you'll allow in our lives that's not for our good, for your glory. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to follow you. Lord, as you interrupt our lives, Lord, I pray that we would not be discouraged, that we would be obedient to the plan that you have for us. That we would be attentive to listening, to listen to the needs around us. As a church, Lord, I pray that we would be open to hearing what you have for us. That we would hear the voice of those who have needs in our community. And that as ministry looks different in the church, that we would be freed up to meet those needs and share your love and grace with those around us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.